praised the Lord. Pastor already honored all of the moms, so y'all can, everybody can go ahead and be seated. But I do want to also echo a very happy, happy Mother's Day to all of the moms, the Grammys, the aunts, all of those, amen, that have been mentors in so many lives. We're thankful for every single one of you. When I think about being a mom, you know, we all have these moments when we're raising our children where it's very demanding at times, but it's also the most rewarding role that there is. I often start with funny quotes, and I know many of you have heard these, wow, after all these years and years, but just give me a courtesy laugh anyway, okay? So... (laughs) If being a mom was going to be easy, it wouldn't start out with something called labor. Now, come on, that's kind of funny, right? (laughs) You know, many of you, like myself... Um, had a godly mother. My mom has been in heaven for many years, but her legacy lives on in her five children, which all of us are serving the Lord. So I attribute that to really my parents, both of them, but the influence of my mother. She was one of these very... um, Sweet, kind of behind the scenes, very service oriented type of a woman. Actually pretty quiet. So, you know, I I totally got that characteristic from her, right? (laughs) But, (laughs) But every once in a while, she would say something or do something that was so humorous. And I remember as a kid, you know, back in the day, way back in the day, didn't even have to have seat belts in cars. Didn't have to have car seats for babies. And so there were five of us kids and we owned an older station wagon. And I remember on Saturdays we'd go into town a lot. We lived out in the country. And this one particular Saturday, she probably had bought us all candy and ice cream or whatever. But we were hyped. And we were jumping over the seats in the car. She stopped at this gas station. And everybody in the community knew my parents. And they knew that they were godly people very involved in church and the gas attendant looked in the car saw all of us going just crazy and he said mrs edwards is this a church picnic or are these all yours and she said they're all mine and it's no picnic so anyway i always remembered that it always makes me laugh when i think about her because it was really kind of out of character but we've all had those days, right? So we honor every single person that is a mom or has in some way, you know, there's people in here that may not be a biological mom, maybe your stepmom, maybe you're raising a relative's child, someone else's child, but you deserve to be honored and esteemed today. Many mentors even here in the house. We respect the role of motherhood. And now I'm really in this phase that I love Grammys. Yay. How many Grammys do I have in the house? It's kind of the reward for raising those kids. I look at it like this. We have three beautiful granddaughters, Olivia, who just turned 14, her little sister, Lucy, who's eight, and then James and Esther's little girl, Eden. And I look at it like this. My three beautiful granddaughters are the reward for raising boys. Now I have these sweet girls. On a, a recent trip, I was down watching actually live and Lucy, her parents were 
out for the evening or something. I don't remember where they were. And Lucy needed help with a kind of personal matter. And she was a little bit embarrassed to ask me to help her. So I said to her, Lucy, do you know what Grammys are? And she's like, no. I said, well, they're just old moms that still know how to do mom things. So I can help you out in this situation for sure. And so anyhow... Like I said, I love being Grammy. And uh, my daughter-in-law, one of them, Lindy, a while back, I think it was, I don't know, might have been last Mother's Day, she had this sweatshirt made for me that says Grammy. And I think we have a picture of it because I love this sweatshirt. That's me, Grammy. Leave it up there for a minute. So a while back, I was flying down to see Olivia and Lucy. And, you know, her parents are kind of included in that, but mostly go see the girls. And I'm at the airport going through security. You have to take all your stuff out, you know, and put it on the little belt. And so I kind of turn around as I'm getting my stuff out of the bag. And these two young girls, not, I mean, they were not teenagers, probably in their 20s. One of them looked at my sweatshirt and she goes, Oh, wow, did you go? to the Grammys and I was just baffled and I said no I am the Grammy (laughs) so anyhow I wear I wear that shirt and it reminds me that I am the Grammy I like it okay anyhow so we all have our significant roles to play. And down through history, women have played a lot of roles in building strong homes, raising godly children, out in the workforce, in contributing to our society in many ways. And women deserve to be honored and to be recognized for what they have done in our society. And many times their roles have gone unnoticed. I recently heard this stat about women. And one of the things that stood out to me, it really has to do with women that served in during World War II. My parents, perhaps your parents or your grandparents were alive during World War II and served in World War II. Any of you have dad or grandfather that was in World War II? Okay, we have a few in here. Yes, I see that. Well, you know, that generation has been labeled the greatest generation because they were so uh, service-oriented. They were so willing to give their all for our nation and for our freedoms. And we talk about the veterans, and that's they deserve to be honored and to be talked about. But I, I was recently reminded my grandmother, my father's mom, had five sons, raised five sons. And during World War II... Four of her five sons were overseas fighting in World War II. And I began to think about that. That's a sacrifice as a mom. But to God's grace and his glory, all four of them returned home. That's wonderful, for which I'm thankful. But it wasn't just the men that were sacrificing during this time of war. The women had a vital role during this period of our history. During World War II, President Roosevelt was the president. 
And he had come from a business background. He was a very wise man. And all these factories were closing because the men were off fighting the war. And he had this revelation to turn all of these factories into making equipment and weapons for the war. And he called upon the women to step up and to step in to the workforce. 14 million women entered the workforce and manned these factories. They built necessary military equipment. They built weapons. These were strong women. And not only were they working in these factories, making the military equipment and weapons with the attitude of I'm doing this to defend my nation. I'm doing my part to preserve our freedoms, my home and my children. But at the same time, many of them were also raising children by themselves because their husbands were off in war. And as I read that stat, it just came up on the inside of me. Those women knew how to build weapons of warfare. But you and I, men and women, the spiritual significance is we need to know how to use the weapons of our warfare. How many would agree, even though our nation may not be at a war naturally, we are in a war for our nation. We are in a battle for the very soul of our nation, for our families, and for our children. And we need to take our place. We need to make our mark in history. Amen. Men and women rising up and doing what God is calling upon us to do in this time and in this season that we are in. These women who many of them had never worked outside the home, they had to tap into an inner strength that they didn't know that they had. But for us as believers, we have abilities. We have strength beyond what we can do in our own strength. And yes, I'm going to read some scripture. Let's look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 13 in the Amplified Classic. I have strength for all things in Christ who empowers me. I am ready for anything. And I am equal to anything through him who infuses inner strength into me. I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. This kind of strength that we're talking about, it doesn't come from natural abilities. It doesn't come from eating spinach. It comes like Popeye. Any of y'all remember Popeye and olive oil? If you don't, you're just way too young. Forget it. But anyhow... When he'd get in a difficult situation, Popeye would pop open that can of spinach and all of a sudden his muscles would pop out and he would be able to defeat Brutus who was trying to steal his girlfriend olive oil. Go Google it. It's true. Anyhow. (laughs) But we have this inner strength, this spiritual 
power that comes from Christ Jesus our Lord. We can draw what we need from Him. The Bible talks about in John chapter 15. He's the vine. We're the branches. And when we are divinely connected to Him, all that He is flows in to us. How many of you are connected to Jesus? How many of you have learned how to draw what you need from Him? In an hour of need, you can draw. If you need healing, draw from that healing virtue. If you need peace, He is the Prince of Peace. Hallelujah. If you need joy, Jesus is the joy of our salvation. So I want to encourage you today. Whatever we need is in Him. It's in Him that we live. It's in Him that we move. It's in Him that I have my very being. You and I are connected to the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And He is the one who empowers us. That scripture we just read says, Christ who empowers me. Empowers is kind of like a buzzword these days. Everybody wants to be empowered. It is not a new word. I went to the 1828 Webster's Dictionary and found this definition of empowered. And I love that dictionary because oftentimes the definitions are connected to a scripture. And this one was. But he says here about empowered. Authorized to give power to. To enable. Jesus has empowered us. He's given us the right and the privilege to use His name, to tap in to His power, His might, and His ability. We are authorized dealers of what He has bought and purchased for us. And we are what this scripture said. We are ready for everything the devil may throw our way. We are equal to anything that might rise up against us. Things may come. Things will come against us and against our family. But he has empowered us. We have overcoming power. In the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus is one of the weapons of our warfare. We're authorized. We're empowered to use the mighty name of Jesus. The Bible says heaven stands at attention. When we mention the name of Jesus, hell trembles at the very mention of his name. We don't have to defeat the devil in our own power and our own strength. Use the wonderful, powerful name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Just like these women, they stepped up and they built military equipment and weapons. You and I are equipped to build an ark of safety for our families.
Now, I know that there are people in here that as we talk about, this is God's best, this is God's highest. And I realize that there are some people in here that you have suffered tremendous loss. You feel like, well, I know I had the name of Jesus. I know I had the word of God. But something horrible and some tragedy happened in my family. And a loved one was taken from me way too soon. I do understand that. I reference my parents a lot and I'm thankful for the legacy that they left me. But my mom was 51 years old. When she was stolen from us by cancer. And 10 years later, my dad at 61 went home to be with the Lord. You know, that's young. It's really young when you start approaching 70. But it was young. And we felt like we were stolen from. And we were robbed from our having our parents here on earth. And I know some of you have lost loved ones very dear to you at an early age. And we can walk through life with these question marks. Or we can say, Lord, I'm going to have to shelf that. I do not understand all the reasons behind why these things happen. But one thing I know, there is no peace in living in the past. There's no peace in living with big question marks and grieving over something that we cannot change. Peace and joy can be restored in knowing that our loved ones are not just in our past. They are in our future. And even though we cannot go back and change the past, we can rise up in faith. We can rise up as God's authorized dealers of his authority. And we can say, never again. You'll not do this in my family again. And we can equip ourselves with the word of God and say, I'm going to build an ark of safety and protection from my family from here on out. Devil, you're not touching a one of them. That ought to be our attitude. If I had a title for today's message, it would be what are you building? We are all building something. And we're going to look at how we build. Over in Matthew chapter 7, really wonderful scripture, good little story, Sunday school story. Matthew 7 verse 24 through 27. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. I can never read this passage of scripture without thinking, I don't sing it, I think it, the Sunday school song. Any of you ever sing, the wise man built his house upon the rock? 
Anybody ever sing that song as a kid? Yeah, okay. The wise man built his house upon the rock. And when the rains came down and the floods came up, his house stood firm, I think is the words. It stood firm. But then there was the foolish man. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. The rains came down, the floods came up, and his house fell flat. I always thought as a kid that we said his house went splat. Either way, (laughs) either way, his house did not stand against the rain and the storm. What's interesting about this passage is that both houses probably look the same from outward appearances. What was the difference? The foundation. The wise man's foundation was built upon the rock. Who's our rock? Who's the rock of our salvation? His name is Jesus. All you builders in here today, you house builders, build your house upon the rock, upon the Lord Jesus Christ. There's so many people in our society that their lives are a facade. They look great from the outside, just like this man's house on the sand. Probably looked really good. I'm sure he put it up really fast and was kind of saying to the guy on the rock, building the foundation first. Oh, you don't have to take all that time to build the foundation. My house is already done. But his house did not stand. And there's too many people, they have this facade from the outside that look at my lovely family, look at my wonderful life. But when things begin to shake, and they will, every one of us are going to face difficulties. Every one of us are going to have that shaking that comes in our lives. But if we are built on the rock, we're going to stand. We cannot have our hope, our trust, or our faith in our 401k, or in our job, or in other people. It is in Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, that was all my introduction, so hey, no, no. No, we're we're on a roll here. So we're going to talk a little bit more about our part in building this ark of Safety for our family. I want to look at a couple of biblical examples. And some of this is taken from a book by Trina Hankins. They were just with us not too long ago. And uh, her book is entitled Effective Praying for Your Family. And I still remember what her husband Mark said when he held up the book. He said, y'all need this. I've seen your family. They need prayer. And that's, you know, anyhow. (laughs) So one of the things that she said in this book was about Noah. How many of you have heard of Noah? I don't have to give you a complete Sunday school lesson here. But Noah had an assignment to build an ark for the saving of his house. He was given these instructions in Genesis chapter 6, 14. We'll look at that. The Lord told him, make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. 
So the ark was made of gopher wood. It was covered inside and out with pitch. The pieces of wood were assembled and put together. And then they were covered with this substance called pitch. And that was there because it was to keep the destroying waters out. And to deliver Noah and his family from the flood. So I looked up this word, actually Trina did, and I found this in her book. The word pitch in Hebrew, it's K-A-P-H-A-R. And this is the definition of the word pitch. To cover over, to pacify, to propitiate, to make an atonement for. So when Noah built this ark with this gopher wood, and then he took every piece of that wood was covered with pitch inside and out. What was he doing? It was a symbolic uh, effort, a symbolic uh, act of covering that wood with the blood of Jesus. To make an atonement is one of the definitions of pitch. So he not only built the wood like the promises of God, but he covered it with this pitch and signifying the blood of Jesus. And that blood of Jesus, that act of atonement, kept the family safe kept the animals safe. It kept out the storm that was raging on the outside. You and I have got the privilege of being in covenant with a covenant keeping God. And with the words of our mouth and with our faith we can cover our family. The ark we're building for our family with the precious blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. There's power, there's power in the atoning blood of the Lamb. Not just saving power, not just healing power, but there is protecting and there is keeping power in the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. There was another person that knew something about this pitch and this atonement. His name was Moses. Moses was born at a time when the Jewish people were living under the Egyptian rule. And they hated, the Egyptians hated the Jewish people. They were enslaved by them. And the Jewish people were multiplying so rapidly rapidly, that this uh, addict went out, this law went out, that whenever there was a little baby boy born, they were to throw them in the river because they didn't want them to keep multiplying. But Moses' parents, when he was born, They had the Spirit of God, I'm sure, come upon them. And they knew there was something different about Moses. They knew they needed to protect him. So the Bible says they hid him for three months in their home. But after that, you know, boys and babies, they're going to be loud. And they could no longer hide him. So his, the Bible tells us in Exodus chapter 2, verse 3, this is how they amplify. And when she, his mother could no longer hide him. She took for him an ark or a basket made of bulrushes, making it watertight by dabbing it with bitumen and what? Pitch. 
Then she put the child in it and laid it among the rushes by the brink of the river Nile. I believe this, that every one of those things that she weaved together represented a covenant promise and prophecy. And just like Noah had to put that pitch on the inside and the outside of every piece of wood, Moses' mother did the same. She was covering him with the atonement. We are atoned and we are protected by the blood of Jesus. We need to have faith in the power of the blood. We need to know that we in Jesus' name we can plead the blood of Jesus on a regular basis. We need to know the scriptures like Revelation 12, 11 that says they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. Declare protection. Declare that you're drawing a bloodline around your family, around your, your possessions. I remember years ago when the boys were pretty small. I know John was a, a teenager. And, you know, usually in the mornings we're really busy and rushed trying to get them off to school. I know everybody that has had kids driving them to school can relate. But I, it was a practice that we did even on the way to school. I'd just pray over them real quickly that they'd have, you know, a blessed day, this, that. Well, I remember one particular day I was driving them to school and on the inside just had this urgency that I needed to plead the blood of Jesus. Well, it was nothing new for them to get hurt, you know, playing sports and all the things they did. But it was like, you really need to plead the blood of Jesus today. So I actually laid my hands on them as they're getting out of the car. In the name of Jesus, I plead the blood of Jesus over you. No hurt, no harm will come to you. Well, they went about their day. We picked them up from school. I did and came home. I believe it was actually a Wednesday night. And at that time, John was really into roller hockey. Any of your kids into that or into that roller hockey? And you have these little roller blade things and a hockey stick. And he was going to go down to the school and just play a little bit before church. So on his way down to school, unbeknownst to us, He's got his little Walkman. Anybody remember Walkman? I'm really dating myself now. A Walkman with his little headphones in his ears. So he wasn't hearing, you know, what was going on around him. And he, all of a sudden, when he's right in front of this one house, this car pulls up. These guys jump out. They push him to the ground. They take his Walkman. They start to hit him with his hockey stick. They grabbed it from him. He raised up his rollerblade, broke his stick. Well, right in the middle of this act of attacking our son, a car drives up in the driveway. And I don't know, said something, but just drove up and the, you know, the people that were attacking him took off. Come to find out the guy that drove back home that day, his daughter was in a play and she'd forgotten something and he needed to come home real quick and get it. He was an off duty police officer. And I mean, come on, devil, you are so dumb. You're attacking my son in front of a policeman's house. And anyhow, he, you know, because he was aware being a police officer, he got the license number of the car and, and everything else. And of course, no hurt, no harm came to John. But because he got the license plate number, these guys were arrested really quick. And John even got his Walkman back. <laughs> I know the blood 
of Jesus has keeping and protecting power. The weapons are going to come against every single one of us. But no weapon formed against us has to prosper. It will not prosper. We know how to use our weapons and our tools. And they are mightier than any instrument of the enemy. Our weapons are not carnal. But they are what? Mighty. The Bible says that in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 and 4. Get out of the Amplified. For though we walk and live in the flesh, we are not carrying on our warfare according to the flesh and using mere human weapons. For the weapons of our warfare are not physical weapons of flesh and blood, but they are mighty before God for the overthrow and the destruction of strongholds. I love that phrase, overthrow and destruction of strongholds. We are obviously in a battle. And even though Jesus whipped and defeated Satan, we have to enforce his defeat and we have to know how to use these mighty weapons we've already talked about the word of God the name of Jesus the blood of Jesus but I want to highlight just a couple more here as we're at we're not closing don't get excited yet but I want to highlight just a couple more these are important Weapons in, and tools in us building an ark of safety for our families, for your life. If you're not married, you need to do this over your own life. It applies to all of us. How about this? Our words. Our words are powerful. Our words are containers. Our words produce death. Or life. I don't believe I gave him this scripture, but I'll reference it. In Deuteronomy 30, 19, he says, I call heaven and earth as witnesses to get today against you. I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants shall live. He's telling us we have the choice to make. God made us in his likeness and in his image. And he gave every single one of us something called a will. And it's the ability for us to choose. And this is like an open book test. Anybody ever have an open book test in high school? I love that because you could flip around till you found the answer. Well, God is saying this is an open book test. You got life, you've got death. And I'm telling you, the, be- the answer is choose life. It's better to be blessed than to be under the curse. And then it goes on in Proverbs chapter 18, 21. Death and life are in the power of the what? And those who love it will eat its fruit. Does it make a difference what we say? Are our words 
containers that can produce life or death. Words spoken over our children can set on course their very life and their very destiny. You as parents, as grandparents, we don't need to be saying things like, you are so stupid. You never do anything right. You're not going to ever amount to much. Kids, kids tend to live up to our expectations. Speak encouraging words, even if it is by faith. We raised two wonderful sons. But I can tell you right now that there were days that I wanted to say, really? You haven't done your homework yet. You have a test tomorrow. You haven't studied. I mean, there was many opportunities. I was just down with the girls down in Orange County. And it was Grandparents Day. And it was open house. We went into Lucy's room. And they had this little project going in their classroom where the caterpillar turns into the butterfly. And I said to John, oh, wow. Remember when you did that as your first science project? I ordered the kit and all this stuff. He looked at me and he goes, no, you did it. (laughs) That was pretty accurate. I fed this nasty little caterpillar and he got fatter and fatter. And then he did it. You know, I had three, one, two died, but one survived. Hallelujah. And I think, I think we got a good grade on our science project. I mean, we've all had those moments with our kids where we wanted to say really negative things. And we weren't perfect in it, but we did know that our the hand of the Lord was upon both of our sons and they had a calling and they had a destiny. And today, both of them are serving God in ministry and I'm happy to report both of them are above average in intelligence. They're productive, hardworking, godly men, husbands and fathers. And I am so shocked at this. They even know how to clean the house and do their own laundry. So some of you moms or grandparents of teenagers or young adults might want to derive some encouragement from that. And I want to encourage you to keep speaking right words over them. Sometimes authority figures say things that are very negative over maybe over you or over our children. Do not let them label your kids. Let me tell you just real quick. Einstein, everybody, anybody ever heard of him? Einstein's teacher described him as being mentally slow. Beethoven, who was an awesome composer, his music teacher once said, as a composer, he was helpless and hopeless. A newspaper editor once fired Walt Disney because he said he lacked imagination and had no good ideas. So whatever people may be trying to label your kids or your grandkids, do not accept it. It's not what others say about you or about your kids that defines you or them. It's what God has already declared over them. Speak right words over yourself and over your children. Speaking right words is like applying pitch 
to your home and to your family. It seals their destiny. Hallelujah. And it keeps out the plan of the devil. Proverbs 620, uh, no, Job 625 says, how forcible are right words. They're powerful. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. Keep speaking right words. And then we want to wrap up in emphasizing this. Pray strong prayers. Pray strong prayers. There's so many scriptures that I could share on prayer. And we won't go into all of it. You can go online. You can buy books on prayer. Just get, don't just read about it. Do it. Let's be prayers of strong prayers. They preserve and they protect our families. And they put a stop on the plots and the plans of the evil one. Just the last part of James chapter 5, verse 16 in the Amplified. Just the last part. It says, the earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available. Dynamic in its working. Our prayers make what kind of power available? Tremendous power available. Dynamic in its working. When we pray under the unction, when we pray in line with the word of God, God's power goes out there. And just like dynamite, it blows up all the plots and the plans and the strategies arrayed against you and against your family. Never underestimate the power in strong prayers hallelujah ineffective prayers hallelujah prayers are important prayers can become like the script of our future we're praying out the plans and the purposes of God we're going ahead of ourselves and ahead of our children and praying out God what God has ordained for them. Nobody on this earth was created to not have a good life. Now, every single person is not going to be awesome at everything, but God has gifted every person with something that you can do really well. Even with your children, if it seems like they haven't found their niche yet, you pray over them. You declare over them, God's got a plan for you. God's got a destiny for you. We're going to pray about it. We're going to pray it out and God will reveal it unto you. And as we're building this ark of safety and redemption, there are people in here that you need to claim household salvation. For you, your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, your aunts, your uncles, just let it extend out. God wants your entire family to get in this ark of safety and protection, particularly in this day and in, in this age in which we live. We can claim household salvation. We often quote this scripture over in Acts chapter 16. But I want to give you a little bit of the background on this verse that we we quote. It has to do with Paul and Silas. 
They were thrown into prison. And they weren't murmuring and blaming each other for being there. That midnight, the Bible says that they sang and they prayed and they sang praises unto God. And then the Bible tells us in verse 26 of Acts 16, suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. Well, the jailer, he assumed that Paul and Silas and all of the prisoners were escaped. But they said, no, 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 we're all still here. And as a result of that, that jailer, he is the one that he said, what must I do to be saved? And they replied to him, believe on the Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ and you will be saved and your household. That's where we get household salvation. Some people believe that this jailer was the one who became the pastor of the Philippian church. He had an encounter with the power of God. But as I was looking at this scripture just yesterday, it kept coming up on the inside of me that as they praised and prayed, everyone's chains were loosed. And the very foundation of the prison was shaken. There's some of you in here that you have a relative that the enemy is trying to enslave them in a prison of addiction or in any uh, some other kind of a prison. And they're, they're being deceived by the spirit of this world. But as we pray, the very foundation... <coughs> How that prison that the enemy's trying to put them in is going to be shaken. Hallelujah. Because we know how to pray strong, powerful prayers. Amen. Will all of you stand with me right now? Glory be to God. We thank you, Lord, that we can build strong, strong families. Oh, hallelujah. Let's just lift our hands and lift our voice. Lord, we want to thank you. Lord, we want to give you glory that you have given us the ability to build arts of safety and protection for us and our loved ones. And Lord, we know in this day that we are living, there have been major attacks on families and children and youth and homes. And we are going to contend for the damasobrataha. We're contending for deliverance. We're contending for salvation. We're contending for protection. Glory to God. Well, the first act of getting into this ark of safety is declaring the lordship of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you have never asked Jesus into your heart, or perhaps you're here today because you came with mom or you came with grandma and you were raised in church, but you've gone astray. And you're not walking with the Lord right now. But today you want to say, I want to make things right. I either want to ask Jesus into my heart or I want to rededicate my life to Him. 
Folks, this is not a fear tactic. But there are things that are happening in our nation and in our world. There is a battle for the very soul of our nation. And you don't want to be out from under the protection of the Lord Jesus Christ. You want to be under the blood, the precious blood, the saving, the keeping, the protecting blood. So if there's anyone in here today that wants to declare the Lordship of Jesus or to return to him, would you just raise your hand? Let me see your hand.